Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Deep State Radio. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, and I am here joined by our original crew, our best friends, Corey Shockey of American Enterprise Institute amid the cows in Northern California. Hi, Corey. Hello, David. And Rosa Brooks uh, uh, that I can see is among her books where in in Alexandria, Virginia? No, I'm in yeah. I'm in uh, Grable, Min- Wyoming. Holy mackerel. Grable, Wyoming. Yes, I'm, I'm in Grable. I even have menacing-looking bits of either either Farm agricultural equipment. implements or or weapons. And I'm that's not quite sure which. Very high ceiling, or you are actually in a silo. She, she I, is. I, <laughs> what I'm in actually is is a renovated old one-room schoolhouse. Oh, that's cool. That's which is cool. Yeah, that's very cool. And um, uh, we have David Sanger, who's actually at his office in Washington, D.C., a place that he's rarely found. Hello, David. You know, I left Vermont because I was afraid that my cows might not be able to take Corey's cows. I'm sure that's true. Um, and um, I, have, in, I have bison guys. I'm not allowed a bovine gap. <laughs> My bison can eat your cows. <laughs> and I'm sure eager to join into this agricultural discussion is Ed Luce at his home in Washington, D.C. Uh, hi there, Farmer Ed. Hi, I'm, I'm trying to think of a cow gag, but, you know, <laughs> be patient, be patient. Yeah, no, well, you know, while all these folks are returning to the land in, in their farm, guys, as country gentry, you're not, you don't really have to deal with the livestock. No, there are pe- just, just people for that. Look at the numbers <laughs> and see what's on our plate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, well, perhaps one thing we could do here is just turn our conversation from this banter to the news. Uh, and the news isn't funny. In fact, the news is, is, is deeply disturbing. Uh, the story that has dominated the news over the course of the weekend um, and has been confirmed by all the leading papers uh, has to do with the fact that the president of the United States was um, uh uh, apparently briefed by the intelligence community about uh, their findings that uh, Russian military intelligence had provided um, uh, bounties to uh, Afghan soldiers who are fighting allied troops in Afghanistan, and that, in fact, apparently some American soldiers uh, have died um, as a consequence of that. Uh, and the White House is, of course, saying that the president wasn't briefed, 
that uh, this is, it's not sure this took place, um, that maybe they'll brief the Congress, but maybe not everybody in the Congress, um, and uh, that it's fake news. So let me start with you, David. You're actually in the middle of a newspaper office right now. What's the latest? Actually, I'm in my attic office. Our New York, our newspaper office is, you know, sealed off for COVID purposes and, and surrounded by police because of um, unrest issues, right? So uh, I'm not quite far from there, but it was my colleagues uh, uh, in the Times Washington Bureau, uh, mostly Eric Schmidt and Charlie Savage, who uh, broke this story, really remarkable story. Remarkable on uh, a few fronts, I would say. First of all, there's no good explanation here for the White House, which is why it took them 48 hours to come up with a non-denial denial, okay? And they have never denied that the intelligence was out there. All they've said was the president's maintained it wasn't confirmed, which that there were dissents from it. Well, there's dissents from lots of different uh, intelligence. But if they say that he was um, briefed on it, which they deny he was, uh, then they have to ask answer the question, why did he not respond? Why did he not uh, issue warnings to Putin? Why did he invite Putin to come to the G7 meeting? Why has he engaged in normal diplomacy with Russia? If they say that um, he wasn't briefed, then the question is, why wouldn't you tell the president who's paying to blow up American soldiers? If they're saying that he wasn't verbally briefed, but that it was perhaps in one of those written, you know, presidential daily briefs or some other intelligence product, then it might raise the question, is the president reading his intelligence products? And we got the answer from that to that from John Bolton, who confirmed what others have said and said, no, he doesn't read them. So it might have been there and he didn't see it. Um, I don't think that any of those are particularly good uh, explanations for this government. No, I don't think they are. But let's go around and, and get reactions from everybody to the story. Corey? I share everything David just said. The White House's um, comment and the director of national intelligence's comment on it uh, sounded like very careful parsing of language in order to cover rather than reveal what was happening. Um, I, when I read the, um, the statement, I cheered living in a country where journalists are going to tell us what happened, no matter whether the White House wants us to know that. Um, and uh, my reaction to the issue was I was delighted to see Republicans on Capitol Hill, including Representative Cheney and uh, Representative Crenshaw, um, both challenge the White House about this. Uh, and I really think you can't uh, pretend you support the troops and not have a position on whether it's okay for the Russians to kill them and for us to respond differently towards the Russians than we responded toward the Iranians when Qasem Soleimani was doing this in Iraq. Representative Crenshaw did then go on to say that the 
spike in COVID in Texas was due to the BLM demonstrations. So I'm not it, saying he's good across the board, David. <laughs> you just no. I, it, it was kind of uh, uh, instant uh, sort of undermining of his credibility. I, Lindsey Graham also said something about it shortly before going to golf with the president. Um, David, Rosa you probably was, didn't know that Representative Crenshaw is a one of the distinguished graduates of our Harvard class. Um, I didn't. Yeah, see? I do every day. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, but I do listen to other Harvard graduates like Kaylee McEnany and uh, Jared yeah. Kushner and... That was a creative. That was a creative briefing today. I mean, she must. This must have been one of the first days where she was wondering why she signed up for this job. Because if you have no decent explanation on the intelligence issues for the reasons I laid out, having to get out there and explain it in front of the cameras, um, not pleasant. Yeah, well, she did suggest that the New York Times and the Washington Post give back their Pulitzers. So please get to that right away, David. Yeah, yeah. Rosa. They're behind me. They're behind me on the wall here. We'll we'll take them down at the end back of the broadcast. Send them send them back in. Yeah. Rosa? Yeah, I I mean, just to add a little bit more to Corey and David's comments, you know, another piece of what's so appalling about this is that as far as we can tell, uh, nobody bothered to share any of this with Congress. And it seems pretty clear that this rises to the level uh, of, of, you know, significant, significant intelligence activities of the type that under U.S. law requires the director of national intelligence to inform Congress uh, or at least get it to the, you know, the so-called gang of eight in Congress to brief them. Uh, And even if the you know, even if you had to do a lot to protect the sources of this intelligence, there were clearly ways to get it to the critical people on the Hill who are entitled by law to be informed of things like this. Uh, but at least as far as we know, and Speaker Pelosi seemed to confirm this this morning, she's one of the gang of eight. Uh, she was not briefed and none of them were briefed. Um, we don't know, obviously, was that intentional to say, well, we know this, we, the White House know this, the Intel community knows this, but uh oh, let's not tell Congress because they're going to be kind of pissed when they find out. Or was this just another example of the sort of Trump administration's keystone cops approach to uh, all things intelligence and military? Uh, and they simply sort of accidentally forgot that they're supposed to keep Congress informed about significant intelligence activities. Uh, but either way, they didn't. And either way, it's a it's a huge breakdown in the process that is designed to ensure accountability uh, uh, of the intelligence community, as well as the process that is designed to make sure, frankly, just that our elected leaders are aware of significant issues that, that emerge. And this sure seems like one. Oh, it certainly does. Ed, I want to give you your chance to comment on this, too. Yeah, I think most of the ground's been covered. I mean, the only question is what what you'd attribute Trump's um, see no evil, hear no evil on Russia to in this instance. Um, and I've seen suggestions it's it's not because he feels beholden uh, to Putin as might be the chief um, explanation for other of Trump's actions, but because he's desperate to uh, complete the so-called um, peace deal with the Taliban in Afghanistan and withdraw most of US forces before November. Um, I have to say, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Um, I, I'd suggest it's probably both. 
You mean he might be motivated by two bad reasons, not just one bad reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, that seems, that seems possible. David, you know, that raises a question for me, and that is, um, you know, I only have a limited amount of outrage, and I, although it may seem unlimited at times, but I only have a limited amount of outrage, and I don't know how to direct my limited outrage. Should I be outraged that the president didn't hear this, or should I be outraged the president did hear it and ignore it? Should I be or outraged, outraged that he can't read, that or outraged that he can't read, or outraged that the intelligence community stooges that he put in place, like Grinnell and Ratcliffe, were put there specifically to help. you know, play down intelligence reports that didn't suit him? Or should I be outraged that he is so eager to cut his deal with the Taliban that he's going to cover up the fact that they're doing these dirty deals with the Russians to kill allied troops? Or, and this goes all the way back to, you know, square one with, with, with Donald Trump, should I really be outraged that this is all part of the Russia crime? Part of him working to cover up things for the Russians, part, you know, and that, you know, it included him actually while this information was out there, as you, as you pointed out on Twitter, almost immediately offering the Russians, you know, participation again in a G8, giving them rewards at the same time that he knew that he had put a bounty on the heads of American presidents. Perhaps I've tipped my hand as to what outrages me more, but what outrages you more? Well, partly, David, I'm outraged that you're reading my tweets over the weekend that suggests that your social life is even worse than I knew. Okay. I I just don't want to miss anything essential. I I can imagine. Um, Second, I'm glad that you left out of your outrage the White House outrage, which is that it's got to be the fault of the New York Times for uh, publishing this, which, you know, and, 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 and fabricating it, as the president seemed to suggest, and the Post for then um, confirming it. And I just want to remind those um, deep state listeners who get upset at the New York Times, and we make lots of mistakes over the years, you know, but want to cancel their subscriptions every time they think that we've, you know, not calling the president lies out with the word lies in a headline, or doesn't like an op-ed that we've run from, you know, representing another view. The reason that you are subscribing to the New York Times is for stories like the one that you just read over the weekend. Okay. I, I got to tell you, I'm just going to interject this here because, you know, we're having this conversation like we've had for five years. The other day, a bunch of people were dumping on Maggie Haberman again. And so I, you know, just sort of chimed in and I said, this is a really good journalist. She does really good work. Don't dump on her. And for two days, I got hundreds. Of, there's this organized anti-New York Times group out there in the internet that hates the New York Times and wants to beat them up. And it's not from the right. It's from the left. Yeah, it's from it's from the left. And you should see my emails, right? I mean, there are things I wouldn't even say on deep state radio, David. That's pretty shocking. That is shocking. <laughs> you know, and none so, of us believe uh, that, actually. But back to your uh, back to your your central point here. Um, This evidence was out there and developed by special forces after they found piles of U.S. currency cash when they hit some Taliban sites. They have cell phones that they exploited out there. Is the intelligence 100%? You know, no intelligence is 100%. 
right? But you would think, given that we have a president who will leap on any piece of intelligence about China or Iran and scream about it, even if he if it is not fully vetted, that you would think that something that was this well-developed, even if there were some dissents, some doubts, and so forth, would have evoked some curiosity on the president's side. And so far, I haven't heard any. Yeah, well, curiosity is not one of his strongest suits. Curious, though he himself may be. Corey, let's just put this into a different world. Let's visit an alternative universe. Let's say this was a White House in which you were working and this information occurred. What do you think the response of, say, any other U.S. administration would have been? Uh, well, uh, first of all, they shouldn't have, um, they shouldn't have had to wait for a unified intelligence assessment because General Nicholson, the commander in Afghanistan a couple of iterations ago, also raised the possibility of this issue. Second thing, they shouldn't have just briefed Republicans on Capitol Hill. They should have, as Rosa pointed out, briefed everybody on the armed services committees, on the intelligence committees, on the leadership committees. Third, they should have um, immediately demarched the Russians with a, a set of policy consequences. First of all, if it proved true, and second set of consequences if it didn't immediately stop. Third, they should reconsider the terms by which uh, the peace process would move forward. Uh, and fourth, uh, they should have come up with a set of policy options for what they were going to do um, to and about the Taliban taking this up while the peace process was in, um, was in motion. And they should have done that in conjunction with the government of Afghanistan treating them as a partner in a peace agreement, not as a subject of a peace agreement. What did I miss, folks? I don't know, Rosa. What should we do right now? What should the Congress of the United States do with this information? Oh, I don't know. Impeach the president? <laughs> Just oh, but, a thought. But, but, hey, but, I, but I, we I, don't do that. You know, last week right, we right, had, right, you know, right. Nadler yeah. going, oh, I, you know, it'd be a waste of time to impeach Barr while Barr blows up the government, the Constitution. Yeah, of the United States. I mean, as we know, Congress has been asleep at the wheel for a very long time when it comes to war powers and foreign policy generally. Um, so I, I would like to just blame it on this particular Congress, but but I can't. Um, I mean, Congress obviously could use the purse strings, could use resolutions, could use sanctions, uh, both to both to exert a little bit more pressure on the administration in terms of what types of peace negotiations make sense, how to how to how to undertake them. Obviously the one that the Trump administration has undertaken has not been working out that well so far. I, I think that June was actually the deadliest month uh, in at least in the last year or so in terms of Taliban attacks on Afghan government officials and Afghan army 
uh, troops. Um, so far from scaling back on those attacks, as as you know, was one of the premises of the the peace talks. Uh, it looks as though the Taliban has only accelerated. And those are attacks on the the Afghan government's forces. Uh, not we're not even talking yet about the the attacks on U.S. troops, uh, apparently apparently eagerly applauded and sponsored by Russia. Um, so we have a, a kind of a sham peace process that we have undertaken in a stupid way to start with, uh, and, you know, and, and looks like it is once again, sadly, is, is sort of unraveling. It's a it's a sham peace process that the Russians have been actively undermining uh, rather than helping. Um, Congress has all kinds of tools at its disposal, should it choose to use them, to require more transparency from the administration to steer the direction of the talks in a slightly different direction, to at, least, at least to indicate that they care and are interested and are paying attention. Uh, and obviously, Congress can do more in terms of sanctions. You know, Ed, I don't you know, uh, want to always you know, be in the position of, of making you answer for the rest of the world, as we tend to do here. But um, it was not just U.S. troops on, on, on whom a bounty was put. It was allied troops on whom a bounty was put. And it was not just U.S. intelligence that found this information. It was the intelligence of other governments that we are close to who confirmed the story to the New York Times and elsewhere. And I haven't heard any of the other governments do anything about this publicly. Um, and I'm just wondering to what extent you think that is also uncomfortable uh, and to what extent you think it reflects a kind of breakdown in some of past functionality in this alliance? Uh, the breakdown in past functionality is, you know, we're, we're well advanced down that road. Um, I mean, as you know, the British were always the most ardent NATO partner to the United States on that side of the Atlantic <clears throat> in terms of putting troops in the field and, 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 and having some diminishing logistics capability to act as a partner. And the Boris Johnson government is simply AWOL um, on, many, on many issues, domestic and foreign. Um, I would, if you were going to talk about use of British assets, like somebody like the Daily Mail to track down um, an American soldier or family of an American soldier or British soldier or other NATO Alliance um, uh, soldiers' family, um, who's been killed since Trump was given information um, about this um, about this uh, GRU unit and, and about its bribery, about its cash incentive to the Taliban to kill, and who we can less then trace as a direct casualty of White House inaction on this. I think that's the kind of thing when we talk, we often get outraged about issues that deserve our outrage, such as this, such as Bill Barr's action, such as any number of things we can mention, um, but also frustrated by the fact it doesn't really translate beyond the beltway into sort of popular conversation. This is the kind of example. Um, somebody who's died, an American or British or Dutch serviceman who has died since Trump was given this intelligence and failed to act upon it, would be would be a way, I think, of of, of bringing it more to to public attention. Attention, because I can I can foresee very easily, as I'm sure all of you can, that we will remain 
um, uh, really exercised by this kind of negligence on the part of America's commander-in-chief and hope that Congress begins to use the tools Rosa was talking about, but can easily imagine this sort of withering way and dissolving as, a, as, a, as an issue of pressing urgency. Finding somebody who died in their family would be a good way of bringing it to public attention. Yeah, speaking of dysfunctionality, David, you know, there has been this systematic effort to take Trumpist people and put them at the helm of the intelligence community, whether um, it was Grinnell or whether it's now Ratcliffe or the people that are there working for them, getting rid of people who are disloyal. Um, and there was a reason behind that. And part of that reason undoubtedly had to do with killing the original Russia story or putting a foot on it. But it makes one wonder, you know, to what extent we can rely on the intelligence community as led by these people to do what it is supposed to do. You've had a lot of contact with the intelligence community over the years. Do you think that's a legitimate concern? Uh, it is. I mean, the intelligence community is clearly concerned that the intel here is being politicized. Not the first time they've been concerned about that. We ran into people who were worried about that with Iraq WMD. We've had people who've been worried about that involving the uh, intelligence about Russia's uh, involvement in the 2016 election. There have been many other cases uh, along the way. The question here is. I, to my mind, threefold. First of all, how solid was the intelligence assessment? As I suggested before, these are never 100%. You never get, you know, complete certainty. But if you've got a preponderance of the evidence or a strong preponderance of the evidence, then you want to raise it to the president. And the president can make a policy decision based on that. Um, second, was it raised to the president? Uh, certainly, if the evidence was this strong, it would have gone to the National Security Council and thus presumably the National Security Advisor, uh, Robert O'Brien. Uh, hard to imagine that in the midst of the Taliban negotiations, in the midst of all of our other dealings with Russia at a time that Russia is doing cyber attacks, testing our defenses along the Aleutian Islands and around Alaska, uh, harassing Ukraine, and so forth, that the president wouldn't be told of that. And then the third question is, what did the president decide to go do with it? If the president didn't believe it was reliable, then there ought to be a paper record that says, seen by the president, and the president made a decision that it wasn't reliable enough yet to go to Putin. So say that. If it didn't go to the president, the big question is, why not? And who didn't send it that far? Because we're not talking here about a minor issue. We're talking about the lives of American soldiers who the president says he's so concerned about that he wants to have us pull out of Afghanistan. Another interesting question, could this have all been planted by the Russians as disinformation in an effort to try to get us to speed our departure from Afghanistan? Uh, well, that's an interesting that's an interesting story. One of the questions that comes up, Corey, as some of this information is gathered by uh, uh, you know special forces on the ground and so forth, uh, and as it directly affects U.S. military, is that we 
didn't, of course, hear anything about this from anybody in the military chain, chain of command publicly until this thing broke. Uh, and I know this is an issue in an area you've given a lot of thought to, and, and I'm just wondering, do you think that's, that's appropriate if they knew this, thought this, to uh, simply say, yes, sir, and we won't discuss it if you won't discuss it? So I was getting a little nervous when David was saying that we ought to see the record of uh, the intelligence the president has seen, um, because I think I give a wider deference to the fact that um, that there are national security decisions that ought to remain classified and that we get better policy in many instances when the president has the ability to receive confidential advice instead of um, receiving that advice from his cabinet or from his military leadership in public. Um, uh, so, so I'm a little nervous about saying there are no intelligence matters that should be, uh, that should remain classified and not immediately be in the public realm. But the mediator of that tends to be the Congress. And the executive always complains about how leaky the Congress is on classified information, but that's the accountability loop um, that matters in terms of decisions in the government because, of course, um, every active duty two-star and above in the military has to put their hand over their heart and promise the Congress during their confirmation hearings that civilian leadership doesn't just mean the president and the executive branch, it also means the Congress. So I think it's a very valid question to ask General Milley, to ask General McKenzie, the CENTCOM commander, to ask um, Secretary Esper, preferably in classified hearings, um, given the, the nature of the subject, but they have to be accountable to the Congress as well as to the president. Um, and then, as Rosa said, the Congress has responsibilities for policy oversight and the oversight of executive decision making. By the way, over the course of the past week, another thing the administration has started to attempt to do is push the Congress out of the loop on the approval of weapon sales overseas. Is This is part of a general effort by the administration to minimize the role of the Congress. And if, in fact, it turns out... self-defeating push. Right. But if it, in fact, turns out that somebody said, hey, we're not going to tell the Congress this vital piece of information, again, cutting them out of the loop, it's, it's consistent with a, a, a longer-term pattern. Speaking of longer-term patterns, Rosa, um, you know, I can't help but, but return to this. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing to me that Donald Trump was elected, well, it was amazing to me he was elected, but it's it's amazing to me that he was elected um, in the midst of a campaign where we knew that he had asked for Russian help and he'd received Russian help. And then uh, when he became president, he 
um, uh, uh, sought to cover up the Russian help and reward the Russians. And he had an incident where he gave them classified information in his office. And he had briefings with Putin where he went in without note takers or other people and may have made promises that we don't know about. And in which after the meetings, he said things like, I believe Putin more than I believe U.S. intelligence, in which he attacked U.S. intelligence, and the FBI about the Russians, in which the Mueller report said that he had something to do with the Russians, and he, um, uh, 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 you know, subsequently denied that, in which, in case after case after case, whether it's the INF Treaty or how he dealt in Syria or now uh, how he's dealing with the G8 in the wake of this thing, Donald Trump has followed a course with Russia that is not only different from that any other president would follow, but seems to be directly related to their interference in the campaign, is deeply dubious. And yet somehow in the midst of this whole discussion, that, you know, people are going, well, it might be that he might have wanted to reward them. But this is all he does. This is consistent with all he does. This is the whole administration. I mean, yeah, sure. And as ever with Donald Trump, it's almost impossible to distinguish between what is done because the Russians own him, what is done because he just happens to admire manly fellows like Vlad in the same way he once had a crush on Jim Mattis. He's now transferred his crush to Putin. You know, how much of this is just because he's an idiot. Uh, there's <laughs> With Trump, there's never any real way to disentangle this, and it could be any of those things or it could be all of those things. No question from the perspective of outcomes, it doesn't really matter. You know, from the perspective of outcomes, whatever his motivations are, uh, whether they're due to some quirk of his personal psychology or, or to blackmail uh, or bribery or God knows what, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter has he has at a moment, you know, he, he has given Russia essentially a, a carte blanche to do whatever they feel like doing, uh, even when, as we now see, it involves direct harm to U.S. military personnel, personnel of our allies and our, our diplomatic uh, and military efforts. Um, you know, he's also, of course, given at least rhetorical carte blanche to other creepy people in other parts of the world, uh, all around the world. Um, but, but you know, the direct damage that can be done by Russia to U.S. interests is significantly greater than the direct damage that can be done by, say, Duterte in, in the Philippines uh, or by Hungary. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a bit of a mystery. Um, I think it may take some time, uh, you know, some years before we know for sure what mix of personal quirks and uh, blackmail slash bribery uh, has been affecting his behavior towards Russia. Um, but I, but I think in some ways we, you know, as you say, David, right, we shouldn't be going like, Oh my God, I have surprising uh, because this has been the pattern with him from the very beginning. Uh, and and in, in all kinds of ways, it just doesn't really matter what his motivations are. Yeah. So um, Needless to say, in an election year, we tend to look at these things uh, politically. The White House looks at it politically. I just was noticing on Twitter that they've decided to have an Afghan briefing for members of Congress this afternoon. Only Republican members of Congress, not 
for Democratic members of Congress at the same time. Hey, David. Yeah. Can I, at the at the risk of taking my life in my hands, can I have a slight disagreement with my dear friend Corey? You know, despite the fact that I drink my morning coffee from the deep state mug, in which she's got her famous quote. Uh, you're perfectly right, David. You know. Um, so uh, here's my small disagreement. Brief, Corey, brief disagreement. Yeah. Brief disagreement that. Um, there are moments, yes, there's intelligence that's always got to stay classified. In the Russia case, the bar is very, very high, Corey, because we have seen cases before of Russia intelligence being twisted by this administration, right, from before it took office. Uh, in this particular case, um, the White House has not made a convincing case that this white this intelligence needs to stay secret because it's going to compromise a source or something like that. They're already debating the merits of what what the Times has revealed here, and so we're way past the question of whether or not this should remain classified. We're down to the question of what did the intelligence say, what did the president know, how did he act. And at this point, it's got, to my mind, very little, there's very little claim that there's an issue of harm to the United States by revealing the intelligence here. Okay, well, we can we can come back to that at some point. I think there's something very interesting raised by the idea that the Gang of Eight was not briefed, but the White House thinks it's okay to brief Republican members of Congress and do so prior to that, right, or in lieu of that. Um, but it, it does come add back to the thing that we always come to in 2020, which is politics of this. Does this have an effect? And while this is heinous, I can give you 20 heinous issues associated with Trump in Russia, um, half a dozen associated with Trump in Afghanistan. While Americans may have died, 128,000 Americans have died so far from COVID and another 100,000 probably will before the end of this year. Um, and while this might have caused a scandal in another White House, um, I wonder if this story will be a story in a week, um, as bad as it is. And I'm just wondering, Ed, you know, I mean, is this, you know, is, you know, a, do you think this is going to have any lasting political effect? Is this, therefore, somehow different from other stories? Or is there a hidden bad message associated with this, which is that it shows the president can effectively get away with anything without political consequences? Well, that's why I mentioned my fantasy Daily Mail story. Is there any way you can personify this um, to people, to people in the country, you know, who aren't sort of professional news watchers? Um, uh, because I don't think that Trump's many Russia transgressions and related ones, and the Ukraine one that led to the impeachment process, um, had much effect on his ratings. Um, and I can't see why this would be any different. It, I can think of more egregious steps that Trump has taken than turning a blind eye to this intel, if that's what he's done. Um, what's changed Trump's, um, what's changed the weather for, for Trump is the economic impact of the pandemic 
and his inability to or unwillingness to um, lead during the pandemic. Those sort of that scissor effect of the economics of it and then his desperation to revive the economy by being negligent in terms of public scientific advice and leadership, I think is what's caused his numbers to <clears throat> turn south um, pretty sharply in the last three months. Um, and what would result in, I think, a pretty heavy Trump defeat if the, if the election were held within the next few days and free and fair voting were permitted, you know, by ballot or in person. Um, so sad to say, no, I don't think, I, do, I don't think these really important stories. There was a story about two years ago, if you remember, that Trump um, punished people like John Brennan um, and, and other former um, CIA um, leaders directors um, for speaking out politically, um, uh, critically of, of Trump uh, and excluded them from um, classified briefings. We were outraged. I don't think more than, you know, one in 50 people uh, who aren't professional news, news absorbers um, or at least highly unusual news readers. I don't think one in 50 Americans would have given a damn about it. Does anybody disagree? I mean, again, here's the story. President knows, or there's intelligence out there that the Russians are putting a bounty on, on American and allied troops' heads. That's outrageous. President ignores it or, or doesn't know about it. That's outrageous. Doesn't tell the Congress. That's outrageous. Um, uh, uh, continues to want to reward the Taliban, may have per Bolton, been motivated to play this down in order to cut his deal and get the hell out of Afghanistan. That may be outrageous. Uh, continued to want to reward the Russians. That is, of course, a great outrage. Um, and it's going to have no effect. Does anybody, or very little effect, Does do any of you disagree with that? I think it could have effect for two reasons. The first is that um, it's actually not going to require very many Republicans in swing states to change their minds about whether to vote for President Trump to, to, deter, to deliver a different electoral outcome in 2020. Um, and Republicans are pretty solid on these kinds of issues. So I think even if it does stay in the news, it, it'll leave a scar. Um, and the second thing is that uh, to the extent that military families and veterans have been um, Trump supporters, this is going to be a really high hurdle to get past. Except, except it depends what news people are actually consuming. And, uh, you know, if you check out what Fox News is covering right now, for instance, it's all uh, the outrage of protesters calling for defunding the police in various cities. If you look at Breitbart, there are a wide range of scandals that have nothing to do with this. Um, you know, if, as ever, I mean, I think this, this goes back to Ed's point, uh, you know, if you don't even know about this because the news sources that you follow are not mentioning it, um, then you're not going to be outraged. You know, obviously... I mean, that's the, the game of imagine if President Obama had done that doesn't really get us anywhere. But yeah, I mean, imagine if President Obama had done that, Fox News would be flipping out, you know, but since it's Trump, it's not even really getting any significant level of airtime. It's way, 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 way down uh, below the, the virtual fold. Um, 
you know, so, so I think, I mean, yes, I think you're absolutely right, Corey. If they knew, <laughs> it might change some minds, but will they, will they know? Uh, and, and, you know, again, in our world in which increasingly news we don't like is easily dismissed as fake, you know, fake news. It was a plant. It was, you know, it's false flag. It's misinformation. The Chinese planted it. Hunter Biden planted it. You know, who, the New York, the, 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 the fake news, New York Times, failing New York Times lied about it as usual. Um, even news that, you know, and we all, we all know all these studies of, uh, uh, you know, cognitive psychologists and, uh, confirmation bias, you know, that when you, when you believe strongly a particular thing and you're confronted with facts that contradict that, that far from changing your mind, you just become more and more, you, you double down on your original position, or at least most, most humans, unfortunately, do that. Uh, so I, I, I wish I was as optimistic as you are, but, but I'm less so. Can I uh, say here, David, that I think Corey is exactly correct uh, after having disagreed with her a moment, moment ago. And the reason for that is this is about you're, Russia. You're, you're afraid of retribution. I am. I'm He's deeply afraid, afraid that Corey is going to come to his house and take a Sharpie and cross that out on his mug. That, that, <laughs> that's right. Or that she'll send her cows to take out my cows. Or um, she'll write David R. instead of David S. That's what, or, that's what she meant anyway, obviously. Or, or, she will, or she'll lock me out of the silo when, the, when, the, when Armageddon strikes. You know, and all of that good California wine she's bringing down there with her. Um, so... <laughs> The, the, the issue here is this is about Russia, and the experiment here would be pretend for a moment that it was the Iranian government that was paying the Taliban to put a price on the head of American soldiers, or it was the Chinese government, okay? What would the Trump administration response be? And if you've answered that question, and it's not the same response as you're getting from Russia, then it bears a little further investigation. No, 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 no question about that. I think, by the way, with China, it would be the same. Uh, And I think with Iran, it wouldn't be the same. Um, I think with you know, China, there would, might be some complaining, but I don't know that he'd do anything because he wants those deals. He seems to be very, very committed to that. Um, in any event, uh, it's, it, I find this a unusually dispiriting conversation because it's not just a bad story, um, but we seem to be immune to be affected by it. And I would add my own two cents that I think the response of Democratic leadership to this story has been, as Rosa intimated earlier, tepid, because it's always tepid. Their response to everything is tepid. The tough ads against Donald Trump are being done by a bunch of Republicans at the moment. Um, uh, uh, and and I just I just think Democrats are, you know, an enabling abused spouse in this relationship at the moment. In any event. We shall see how this all plays out. We shall see week to week. Um, We'll be back a little later this week, following up on some of the stories associated with COVID. We will not be back next Monday because we'll take next Monday off for the holiday to celebrate American independence uh, or, or to 
contemplate American independence if we think that's been given up to anybody. And, uh, and then we'll be back next Thursday and onward through the summer. So we wish everybody who uh, is listening to join us again later in the week and to have a good holiday. Uh, go to the dsrnetwork.com to get your Deep State Radio mask. I see some people posting pictures of it on, on, on the internet, and you should do that. The mask is very attractive. I personally have worn it. So Ed is wearing it right now on this podcast. We'll save a picture of that. And I have to say, having worn them, Ed, do you have COVID? No, they work 100%. They work 100% of the time. Okay, wait a minute. Have I been determined dispensable that I don't yet have deep state radio masks? No, no, you should. You should. Locking me outside the silo? No, you should. Check your cattle. They may have (laughs) grabbed... Hey, David, I just got mine, but I haven't tried it on yet. And I'm worried after seeing Ed there, because when I talk through it, does it come out with a British accent? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, it is. We paid extra. We paid extra for that. <laughs> Corey, I'm sure yours is on the way. And I'm absolutely positive that as soon as we go off the air here, uh, our crack team will confirm that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, everybody wants one. So go to the DSR Network, become a member, get the mask. Uh, buy extras for your friends and family. It's a good thing to do, and it helps support what we're doing here. And we'll see you all again real soon. And in the interim, uh, stay healthy. Bye-bye.